0: Hey, my name is Sean Sears. I'm the lead pastor of Grace Church. And I want to say thanks for being here this weekend. We know that there are a lot of other good churches in the area. So the fact that you chose to be with us this weekend is a big deal to us, and we're honored that you're here. So thanks. Thanks. Thanks for coming. Um, last weekend was Mother's Day. I hope it was a good weekend for you. I know that holidays aren't aren't great for everyone. Sometimes they can be complicated. Uh, but this weekend, uh, my mom is actually in town uh, because my oldest son is is getting is is getting married this this weekend. Uh, so I'm getting to hang out with with her and, and my dad and and uh, my in-laws. Uh, so pray for me. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. I, I enjoy hanging out uh, with with everybody in, in my family. Uh, that may or may not be true, but I'm gonna say it. In, I'm gonna say it anyway. Um, uh, but but my parents. W- what is 100 percent true is is that my parents are good and godly people. They, uh, they they love the Lord. They they follow Jesus. They love their kids. They have a phenomenal they have a phenomenal marriage, and I'm thankful to God for them. They 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 raised me. Uh, to, to love God, to love his church, and uh, to, love, to love my family. And they, they did that really, really, really well. Um, and and uh, I grew up with a whole bunch of awesome Christian people uh, from our church. I had Christian friends from my Christian school. I went to a Christian college. Uh, the unfortunate thing about that is, is that I, I, I was raised uh, in, in a bubble where everybody believed exactly like I believed, voted like I voted, and, and lived like I lived. And the reason why I say that that's a problem is that when you read uh, the, the life of Jesus in the Bible, you find out that that's not actually how he lived at all. I mean, if Jesus was only going to hang out with people uh, who were like him, he wouldn't have been able to hang out. Uh, with, with anybody uh, because there's, there's nobody that, that truthfully would have measured up. So I'm, I'm thankful that he didn't have as high a standards for his friends as it seems sometimes that Christians have for their friends, right? Uh, so that's, that's why I say it's a problem. Now, we're, we're, in a, uh, we're in the last week of a four-week series called DNA, and the idea behind this is that there is a DNA that predetermines the type of person you're going to become, at least certain aspects of the kind of person that you're going to become. And in the same way, our core values predetermine uh, the choices that we're going to make uh, as a church family. The idea, though, is that these values uh, would be something that you'd be comfortable enough to adopting as the filter through which uh, you you make your choices as as well. Um, What I was going to say about the teaching this weekend is that this is the weekend, this is the value that I believe uh, most fills God's heart, but then and considering what that actually is saying, I, I realized I had to back off of that. The truth is, this might be the one that gets me most jazzed. Uh, but but I don't know if any if you could take any one of these four values out at or de-emphasize them at all. Like I don't even think there's a way to like. Which would you rank higher than being biblically centered? Right, like because it's through the scriptures that we understand. Who God is, and and we know that God honors His word above His own name. So, dang it, we're going to make sure that 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 we pay attention to what it says. We'll adjust our lives uh, to the Bible rather than trying to adjust. The Bible to match our lives. We we also know that we are to be personally involved in the mission of God, uh, and and in people's in people's lives. and And I don't think you can be biblically centered uh, without being that one either. Um, this last weekend we talked about being radically generous because God is generous. And the truth is, each one of these values we adopt because. They're a reflection of the character and nature of God Himself. Uh, God said, I'll honor my own, I'll honor my own word. God took personal responsibility to get involved in our lives and in rescuing us. We also are called by God to get involved in that same mission uh, and, 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 and so that other people get the same opportunities that, that we do uh, and, and to serve each other as a church family because Jesus serves us. So I I serve him and others as well. And because God is radically generous. We want to be radically generous. And then this, this fourth value uh, through which we filter all of our decisions is that we, we are outwardly focused. And the reason why we're outwardly focused is because God is outwardly, outwardly focused. Is that's, that's, that's the reason why. And, and the Bible opens up uh, with, with God uh, creating mankind uh, all together on one team. And so all of mankind was on the inside uh, with each other and and with God, but when mankind chose to rebel against the authority of God, and in, in our lives and be selfish towards each other, what happened was is we moved from being on the inside with God to moving on on the outside. And and truthfully, God had options at that point, and what He could have done was is He could have He could have froze us out because we were outside by our choice, not not. Not by, by our choice, not by, by His choice. So he, he would have been within his rights to do that, but he didn't. What God did was is, is, is the Bible says that he, he like opened up and then began pursuing a relationship. Uh, with mankind. And so in, in the first three chapters of Genesis, you find Adam and Eve moving away from God, and what you find is God showing up, coming after them. And the rest, honestly, of all human history is the story of, of God in pursuit of reconciling uh, mankind Uh, to himself in spite of their sin, offering a way for that barrier to be broken down so that we could have access to God. That's what the scriptures are. It's it's God being outwardly focused, coming after us. Even when God chose his chosen people, uh, the Jews, when he came to Abraham, he said that in choosing you, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. Through you, a descendant will come that will be a light For the Gentiles, not just the Jews, so even in choosing a specific, a particular group of people, God's plan was always to be inclusive, and to be outwardly focused on those who weren't a part of it, of it yet, and all of the Jewish prophets knew this. There's a story of Moses. Uh, and having a conversation with God, where they had they had built the golden calf coming out of Egypt, and they were worshiping it while Moses was up getting the Ten Commandments. And if you've seen their Charlton Heston, it's an old movie, it's a classic. Uh, you can watch it probably on Netflix or on Amazon. Um, well, God God wants to destroy all all of all of all of them and start all over uh, with with Moses. And Moses's response was, "But what will the outsiders think?" How will this look to everybody else? Because isn't that who all of this is is for anyway? And, and it was that heart that God loved about Moses. He was, you know, like that's that's why they were they were so close is because because of that relationship and and his view on what their role was as Jews was to be a picture for the rest of the world so that they would have the same opportunity to come into relationship with God. And so that idea of how this looks to uh, those who are outside, was something that comes up often in the Jewish prophets. Um, there were times where, where people were confronted by a prophet in the name of God and said, you guys are supposed to be the ones who are followers of God. And how does this look to the rest of the world? You say you follow the one true creator, but you're living like this. It doesn't make any, any sense. So the entire Bible is filled with uh, conversations among insiders as to their goal and purpose being for those who were, as of yet, on on the outside. So it's probably not a surprise to you that when Jesus comes along, he echoes that same heartbeat of God that you find in Genesis. So if you've got your Bible, I'm going to go to uh, ask you to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter four. Uh, so we're in Matthew chapter four. I'm going to start reading. In uh, verse verse 19, actually, we're just going to read one verse in Matthew chapter 4, and this is Jesus uh, beginning his ministry, calling the the first group of disciples to start being his followers. So Jesus is he's not doing the open air preaching stuff yet. He's not going around uh, uh, like starting all of the healing stuff and you know the blind men and the the cripples walking and the leprosy like that. That stuff hasn't even started. Jesus is still pulling his team together at this point. And in Matthew chapter 4, uh, verse 19, he comes to the First guys, he's drafting to be on his team, and and here's what he says, uh, Matthew chapter four verse nineteen. Jesus called out to them. Uh, these are these are ended up becoming uh, James and John, uh, like the the first two of the disciples, right? So James and John, he's calling out to them, and he says, "Come, follow me, and I will show you how." Right? Like, like, how would we think that he's going to, like, what is it that God wants to show people who follow him uh, how, how to do? Like, what, what is it God's trying to get them to do? I, I think that we were going to allow our religious experiences uh, shape the answer to that question, uh, if, if we were to look at other Christians, and we were to say, if you follow Jesus, then the whole point is to show you how to what? How to what? Like, how would you how would you? finish that sentence, if you, if you had not already read ahead on the screen and saw the end of that, that verse, how would you answer that question? If you follow me, I will show you how to live a better life than those around you. Uh, like, you, you could finish it that way. I, I will show you how to live uh, the same as everybody else, but be condescending toward them. possibly you may know some religious people who truthfully their lives don't look anything different than anybody else's yet somehow they feel superior to everyone and so you might get the impression that that would be the goal of Christianity but that's not actually what Jesus says so let's look at it again Matthew chapter 4 verse 19 Jesus said "Uh, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people right like now he's talking to fishermen, so in their context that makes sense. So it's not like he's talking to politicians and he's bringing up a, a fishing metaphor that would have made sense to, to anybody. In fact, and in and another uh, scene, uh, Jesus is saying something almost identical, but he's talking to farmers in, in that situation. So he says, "Look, the harvest is all like it's already. The fields are white unto harvest. So pray that God would would raise up uh, more more workers." to send into the field, to, to bring them in. So with the farmers, he uses a farming metaphor. With the fishermen, he uses a fishing metaphor. But the whole point, he says that if you come to me, then the end result of you following me would be that you will now be focused on everybody who doesn't yet. Like the closer you get to Jesus, the more compassion and passion, the more focus you have on those who don't follow him yet. So if Jesus is fishing for the disciples and says, if you get into my boat, he says the end result of you getting into my boat is that you will then carry a fishing pole and start focusing on everybody who ain't in the boat, ain't in the boat yet. Like Jesus is saying that the end result of your inclusion with me is your focus on those who are on the outside still. Like it's, it's that, that, that's what it looks like. To be growing in your relationship with God, it's getting closer to Jesus and more focused on those who who don't follow him yet. The Apostle Paul echoes this in 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 14. We're not going to take the time uh, to to, uh, uh, read this passage of Scripture. But what Paul says is that when you guys get together for your gatherings... Um, he says, uh, and, and specifically when it comes to speaking in tongues is what he was talking about. And he says, if there's one person who's outside of faith that shows up in your congregation of, what, 200, 300, 50, five, 500, 1,000 people. He said, then I don't want you speaking in tongues at all. You know why? Uh, because this is, this is for them. He said, I'd rather you have five words of understanding than 10,000 words that they won't understand. So basically what Paul says is, even when you gather together as Christians, like as followers of Jesus, I want you to gather as Christians in consideration for those who don't share your faith yet. I mean, truthfully, that's why I'm not wearing a tie this morning. (laughs) There's there's other reasons I I don't like ties. That's true. Uh, But early on, um, one of our neighbors who had actually were a part of our Bible study at the beginning, uh, I said, you know, I think we're going to start meeting on Sundays now and, and we're going to transition this and we have a church sponsor and we're going to become a new church and one of their, their, their question wasn't like, what's the doctrine of this church? The question wasn't where are we going to meet? The question was, how do, how do I have to dress? And I was like, dude, like, the way you're dressed now is cool and then he goes, okay, then I'll come. <laughs> I realized, are you kidding me? like if a suit was going to be the reason why my spiritually disconnected friend wasn't going to find and follow Jesus. Dang it, there's nothing in the Bible about suits. Now, if, if you're wearing a suit today, great. Like like I, I genuinely don't care what you wear as <laughs> as long as you're wearing something. Can I say that? Right? Like I don't I don't we don't we don't care what what you what you wear. Like like we just we just want you want you here. Like, right? Like and, and there's no litmus test to get in the door. Um, we, don't, we don't have anybody check off a box, like, are these the things that you believe, and is this the way you live, and is this what you're, like, this is how you vote, like, like, none of that stuff, like, like, Jesus wouldn't, have, like, that, that isn't the condition on which you get to spend time uh, with, with God. Now, the truth is, there are things about our life that, that are sinful, that do break God's laws and are selfish towards our fellow, fellow man, and if you're going to become a follower of Jesus, there are going to be things that you need to, the biblical word of this is repent of, or to choose to say that, God, I agree with you that this part of my life should not be a part of my life anymore, and I'm willing, I'm willing to let this go in order to follow you, right? But you don't have to let those things go to be with Him. You definitely don't have to let those things go to be loved by Him, Right? So you don't have to do any of those things to be loved by us, to be here either. Like, like this, is, this is what we're here for, is to give more people more chances to find and follow Jesus. I can't think of any passage of Scripture that more clearly summarizes this idea than Luke chapter 15. So if you've got your Bible, I'm going to have you go to Luke chapter 15. It's the third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 15 is, is, is where we're at. And uh, Luke chapter fifteen, I'm going to start reading uh, in in verse one, uh, Luke fifteen. Um, here we go, uh, Luke chapter fifteen, verse verse one and two. Uh, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus to Jesus teach. And I want I want to stop uh, because Jesus lived in in a, in a day and time in which uh, the focus of religion had moved from uh, the, the purity of our heart and the openness uh, in, in, in our relationship with God to becoming a, uh, our ability to measure up to an external standard. And there were people in Jesus' day who were Jewish but did not measure up. Uh, these were tax collectors uh, as, as a general rule. These were people that were working with the Romans to tax their fellow Jews to give money to pay for the armies that oppressed their people. Right, uh, That was a violation of the law of Moses, of the Torah. And so when those people chose that as a profession, essentially what they were saying is, I don't care about my soul if it gets me more money. And so to the eyes of those who were religious, there was really nothing worse than that. Because not only are you selling your soul for profit, you're also contributing to the persecution of your own people for that same profit so you can understand why as a conservative religious jew uh, a tax collector would be on the bottom rung like down there with like people who like beat women and hurt kids and like notorious sinners oh, and by the way those people often came to hear jesus teach so it was kind of a problem for them that they felt comfortable enough around Jesus that they could sit through an, uh, w- one of his whole teachings and, and feel as though God still had room for them, right? Like, that, that was a problem for them. Look at the next verse, verse 2. Verse 2 says, This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain, When I just explained that, uh, that, that he, Jesus, was associating which, with such sinful people, even, even the eating with them. Like, it was, it was one thing that they could sit through an entire sermon with Jesus and at the end of this sermon uh, feel comfortable hanging out with Him. It was a whole nother thing that outside of sermons, in a social setting, Jesus felt so comfortable with them that He would go out to eat with them. Like, that, that, that was even worse. Because by hanging out with them socially, are you not condoning them? Like, like shouldn't we... Like avoid people that don't believe like us, live like us, vote like us. I mean, that's that's kind of like a microcosm of modern American Christian church, right? Like they are enclaves of, you know, religious self-identified elite. And I must, not every church is like this. Like I, I know that. But what I'm saying was Jesus definitely wasn't like that. And it was a problem to religious people. So then Jesus goes into three different stories in the rest of this chapter that we're not going to take the time to read all of them. I, I will read for you the entire first story. I'm, I'm not, I'll am not. i summarize the next two stories that Jesus tells to correct them on their misunderstanding of the nature of the reason why God had sent him in the first place. Ready? Verse 3. Luke chapter 15, verse 3. So Jesus told them this story. What? So, because of that, because they had a problem with who felt comfortable with Jesus and who Jesus was spending time with, because of that, he tells them a story. It's a parable. It's a story he's making up on the spot, but parables don't have like talking animals in them or anything like that. They're, they're not like fables. It's, it's not like, you know, the, the you know, chicken little or the tortoise and the hare. Those are fables. Those are th- the, they're not grounded in, in reality. Parables had context to them that made sense, right? Uh, so then Jesus tells them this story. Um, so Jesus says, verse tells him a story, verse 4. If a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, uh, what do you think he would do about it? Wouldn't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? The answer to that question is... Yeah, that's exactly what he would do. Right? Like if you got a hundred sheep and you lose one percent of them, uh, you can't you can't keep doing that, right? Like like let's say you lost one sheep a day or one sheep a week. Like like they're not reproducing that fast, possibly, right? So like you, you can't sustain a one percent daily loss of income and and stay in business. Like so like if you if you're a business person and you find money leaking, or if you just have a budget and you find out that money's getting spent and you can't find it, you should take the time uh, to actually go through your bank account and figure out where all of your... Like, that's just smart, like like stewardship, ma- management. Like, it's a, it's a good business principle. Because wouldn't you, like, leave the 99 to go find the one? And I mean, the obvious answer to that question is, yeah, you, you'd have to do that. Uh, Won't he leave the 99 others, verse 4 says, in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he finds it, he'll joyfully carry it home on his shoulders, when he arrives back home, uh, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. So obviously this isn't like he lost it for five minutes. I mean, like it's like this sheep is gone and he leaves for a period of time. And he, and he who knows how long, the story doesn't, doesn't say. But the idea is that he's gone a significant enough amount of time that when he comes back, it's noticeable that he was gone. And now he's back and everything is put right again. Uh, it, it, it won't, he, won't he call all of his friends together uh, to, 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 to have a party? Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Verse 7. In the same way, and this is where Jesus gets really offensive, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and comes back to God than over 99 others who are righteous and never strayed away. That's what was so offensive. What he says is that there's quantifiably, measurably more happiness in heaven over one person who's far from God who finds the way back and over everybody else who never left. What that means, tangibly speaking, for you, is that if you're sitting here today in church and you feel like the odd man out, I don't, I don't even know what I'm doing here. I don't fit in with these people. I don't really believe like that. I don't I don't even know what I believe right now, right? I'm up in the air on stuff. I get too many questions. I don't, there's a lot of things I don't understand about all of this. I want you to know on the authority of Jesus Himself that God is quantifiably, measurably happier that you are here than that everybody else in the room combined, right? Because all of this is for you. See, I don't believe, biblically speaking, that the church is for Christians. The church is Christians, and we're here for everybody else who's not one yet. And it's almost like they're listening to the words that he's saying, but they're not quite getting it, so he tells them another story. There's a woman who has a headband that has ten coins hanging from them. This is something that a married woman in Jesus' day would have, would have had, and she, one of the coins gets lost. It'd be like you losing a diamond out of your wedding ring. You would stop everything to go find it, which is what she does. She has to sweep the whole house, which doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, with a wood floor or carpet, right? Like you don't have to sweep or vacuum to find a quarter. You can just look, there's the quarter. Uh, but if you had a dirt floor, it does make sense that she'd have to move the dirt around because she doesn't know if the coin's have been pushed into the earth, right? Or like A quarter, an eighth of an inch. like how? And, and where? Because she can't see it anymore. So now she's got to sweep the whole house. She's got to move furniture out into the yard. She's got to take a trowel. She's got to take a rake. She's got to move things. Like she goes to a ton of work. And, and how long will she work to make sure this coin is, is found. And according to the story that Jesus tells, is that she'll put in as much work as it takes until the coin is found. That's the whole point. And then when she finds it, she does what the, what the shepherd does. She, she throws a party, and Jesus says again, in the same way there's joy in heaven over one over one sinner who turns from, from their disconnection to begin following after, after God, right? And then there's a third, like they don't get it yet, so he tells them another story about a son who, who um, has a good dad uh, but he says, um, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. And shockingly, uh, the dad gives it to him. And he goes to a far country, and he wastes all the money on hookers and, and partying. That's actually in the Bible, according to the story, right? Like the story that Jesus tells. And the son gets to the bottom of the barrel, right? He's in the gutter. And he says, even servants, even, even minimum wage workers in my dad's, my dad's house, my dad's estate, have it better than this. While I'm not worthy to be called his son, uh, maybe he'll hire me. So he goes back, and the dad runs out to him. And the son practices this speech that he never gets to get out because the dad embraces him and, and brings him back and includes him in the same standing he had before he had ever, ever left. And, and the Pharisees and you know, teachers of religious law about lose their mind on this one because according to the law of Moses, he should have been stoned at the city gates by the elders of the, of the community, right? The fact that the dad would let the son get away with this, not kill him, but actually give him the stuff, and then embrace him back was was completely shocking. Um, um, but there's there's one thing that's similar in all three of these stories, and that is that the lostness of the item never affected its value. So, somebody's while, while while I think that all insiders in any group view outsiders as being less than those of us who are followers of Jesus, who are inside the household of faith. We are not to look at other people as, as less than, but as the object of our faith in the expression of it, right? Like that's somebody's distance from God. If it doesn't affect their value to God, it can never affect their value, their value to us, right? There's a few things different about the story. Is that, that they're all lost for different reasons? The, the sheep is lost out of ignorance. It's just a dumb sheep. It didn't know any better. The coin is lost out of negligence. It was somebody's fault. It just wasn't the coins. It was the ladies. And then the son, it wasn't anybody else's fault, but it was his own. Like he and and truthfully, we have people here, right? You know people. You have friends and family who are spiritually disconnected from God for those same reasons. Some of our friends, some of you possibly are disconnected from God. It's because you didn't know any better. Like, you weren't raised in a family like I was raised in with godly parents. Like, like maybe you were religious, but, like, your own mom and dad, you, don't, you couldn't tell if they even really believed this, right? So you just didn't know any better. And then there's others that, like, you were religious, but maybe the abuses in the church or, or the harshness of a Christian at one point, you like, like you're distant from God, and it's somebody's fault, it's just not yours. You're like the coin, right? You, you were kind of pushed out. You, you're disconnected from God because of negligence. And, and you're just far from God for that reason. Some of you guys, you, you grew up in fantastic homes and you had godly parents and you ran away anyway, right? Like a, it's willful rebellion. You knew better, but you did it. You did it anyway. And so while you might feel that you can't come back to God, um, what, what I love is that it doesn't matter to God why you're far from him. It only matters to him that you are, right? And so when we look at people's lives and we make assessments over them because this is what humans do, all humans do this, uh, we assign value. We say that they're farther, they're, they're more worthy or, or less worthy. And what I want you to know is that God never does. And if you struggle with that, you must stop. The other thing I see in this passage of Scripture, not just the reasons why they're lost, but the response of those who are on the finding end. And the first story tells me the priority of those who are outside of faith over those who've already found it. You leave the 99 if that's what it takes to get the one. Grace Church isn't here to to provide a more entertaining worship experience for the already found. We're not here to provide religious goods and services for religious people. We're here for those who are not in the boat yet. We're here to give all of your friends a legitimate opportunity to know and to follow Jesus. The second story tells me, and how hard and how long will we work to make sure that they get that chance as long as it takes. And how much sin should we be willing to put up with, to endure, right? How much grace should we be willing to apply to people who are far from God? However much grace it takes. That's what those stories tell us. When you become outwardly focused, you begin to aggressively and purposefully look for ways to reach people who are far from God and even to meet, to meet their needs. When you become outwardly focused, you view your involvement in soccer, in band, in your dorms, right, at work, and on your street differently, you recognize I'm not just in soccer to score goals. I'm in soccer because I have friends in soccer who are far from God. I'm not in band, just not just to hit the right notes, but, but because there are other people in band who are, who are far from God. I'm, I'm not just at this job to make a dollar, but to make a difference in the lives of those who are, who are far from God. You see people with different politics, different backgrounds, different skin color, different lifestyles, not as opponents, but the object but as the objects of your love, attention, and service. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that we're not going to take the time for, but Paul says, To the Jew, I will, I will live as a Jew, so that the Jew gets an opportunity, to know him to follow Jesus. For the Gentile, I will live as a Gentile, not forsaking personally, he says, the laws of God. I'm gonna live underneath the law of Christ, he says. But I'm going to live in such a way that I can build connections and relationships with the Gentiles so that they can know and to follow Jesus. That's what he says. And the truth is we recognize that the growth that we have seen here at Grace Church is because we are focused on who God is focused on the most. Those who are outside of faith. And if we ever become internally focused, I believe that we have walked away from the mission of God. And then we will no longer experience the blessings of God because we're not on mission with him. We have something in our office in the Connection Center uh, on the wall. It fills the entire wall. I want to show you a picture of it. It's a map. And on this map are, are, are uh, pictures of churches that we are in networks with, and there are other churches that we know faithfully present uh, opportunities to know and to follow Jesus to people. Uh, then you, you see uh, red, uh, red stickies. And those stickies are up there in spiritually under-resourced communities where we hope uh, to, start, to start other churches, to give more people more opportunities to know, to know and to follow Jesus. Um, and uh, because we recognize that God has given a lot to us, so God is going to expect a lot, a lot from us. Our, our church exists to give people everywhere in your town, not just in my town, not just in the town in, in, in which your location is currently located, more opportunities to know and to follow Jesus. Um, but, but all six states of New England, all six of them are in the top 10 least religious states of the country. That, that can't be okay with you because I know for a fact it's not okay with God. The number two and number four least religious city And all of America is Providence, number two, and Boston, number four. And here we are, smack dab in the middle of two of the top five least religious cities. And if you don't think God is calling us to do something about it, I don't think you're paying attention. Holy cow. Like, we're not just responsible for Avon, Braintree, Bridgewater. We're responsible for all of the other towns around us that are spiritually under-resourced, which is almost every single one of them. So right now, we have three locations. That's where we're at right now. And, And our history, the history of our church, is that we've been able to start one church every three years, and recently we've been starting them every two years. But what if that became an expectation moving forward? What if, from this day forward, Every single church that we ever start has the expectation that they need to start another church within three years. What would that take? It would take a move of God, but it would take full buying and participation from you is what it would take. That's what it would take. It would take you rearranging your priorities, you adopting a new filter through which decisions were going to be made. Truthfully, if we're going so get this. We have three churches. That gives us one year to find a pastor, lead couple. That gives us one year to apprentice them, put them in a residency, and one year to get them ready to launch to launch that church. No, I, I, I believe before God that we can do this. Right? Like I, I believe that we we have have that capacity. But what that means is, right now we have three three churches. If we started this process in January, right, twenty twenty. In 2023, we've got six. In three years, we've got six churches. In six years, we will have started 12 churches. In nine years, we will have started 24 churches. In 12, this just sounds stupid. In 12 years, we will have started 48 churches. This isn't just about the number of churches. You know what this is about? This is about Abington. It's about Walpole, about New Bedford, about Lakeville, about Wareham. It's about Norwell and Marshfield. It's about Milton, Lower Mills, Dorchester. Dang it, the North Shore, they're really far from Jesus. (laughs) Right? It's about Medfield, it's about Needham. It's actually about your friends who won't drive to this location. That's what this is about, and this is never going to happen unless you become outwardly focused, unless you make a conscious decision to be biblically focused from this day forward until the day you die. Regardless of what that cost or where it takes you, I will allow the Bible to define for me right and wrong in the choices that I make. This is never going to happen unless you become radically generous With your time, with your gifts, your ability, with your money, it's never going to happen unless you personally take responsibility to get involved in this. Now, I believe that this is where God is leading us. And this could happen in the next 50 years, or this could happen in the next 12. What you do next determines how fast it happens. That's it. What I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to pray, God, do anything you want in my life to let me play a part in what you're wanting to do through my life from this day into the day I die. Dear God, I volunteer. That's it. That's all I want you to do. Let's pray. God, let your will be done in our hearts so that your will can be done through our lives. God, in those areas of our life where we do not live biblically, convict us of that sin so that we let it go. Not because it's easy, but because it's right. Not because it's what makes us happy, but because it's what makes us holy. God, I pray that we would be personally involved, that we would recognize that we have a part to play in your mission here in the South Metro area of Boston. God, help us to become radically generous. Help us to recognize that everything we have is to be managed and stewarded in a godly way and a generous way. And dear God, Help us be more concerned about other people than we are our own needs. God, help us to at least love others like we love ourselves, like you said. God, please, that's our prayer. We ask this in the name of Jesus, and we all pray and say together.